today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The Prime Minister uh, is, as we mentioned, with the German Chancellor today. And, uh, well, the the modus operandi here is that they're trying to sign an energy deal. And they talked about this, I guess, at a meeting a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but there's an undercurrent to what's going on here. And, of course, that's Ukraine. Uh, because this whole thing seems to be centered around certainly the, the turbines that Canada was fixing and sent back. Uh, but at the same time, I think the Canadian government probably would rather the focus of the next two or three days uh, be the deal that they're supposed to be signing uh, with the German Chancellor. Emily Judovesky has some details for us. Olaf Scholz and his vice chancellor touched down in Montreal Sunday evening for a visit that includes scheduled stops in Toronto and Stephenville in western Newfoundland. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland was on hand to greet the dignitaries on the tarmac. Schultz and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau are expected to sign a deal for Canada to supply clean hydrogen to Germany, as well as discuss the war in Ukraine. The visit coincides with renewed calls from Ukraine for Trudeau to cancel a decision to allow the return of a turbine being repaired in Montreal for use in a Russian pipeline that supplies natural gas to Germany. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. So how do you find a balance, or can you even find a balance, between what Canada should be doing here? Because the turbine issue is the uh, the sword of Damocles, I guess, that's hanging over this whole thing. To talk about this, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Uh, good morning, Elliot. Great to have you with us again this morning. Thank you. Good morning, Bill. Uh, the statement from the Prime Minister's office uh, says, on a, you know, they take great pain, I guess, to wordsmith these things. Uh, the visit will advance a shared priority between Canada and Germany, including our unwavering support for Ukraine. Well, and of course, the response to the Ukrainian government is, if you're supporting us, then don't give them the turbine back. Uh, this this is a very, very touchy, complicated issue, isn't it? Yes. Uh, from the Ukrainian view, it's not complicated at all. No. Uh, the It's very straightforward. In terms of the broader picture, it becomes complicated in a way that I don't think has been underlined sufficiently. The primary goal of getting those gas turbines back was to maintain NATO unity. The fact that the U.S. government weighed in on this at the time when this first came up a month ago uh, has not been underlined, and it should be. The primary goal of Joe Biden and the U.S. government is to maintain NATO and Europe's unity in the face of this unprovoked attack on Ukraine. And they consider it, and apparently we consider it, uh, worth providing sufficient gas supplies to Europe so it does not get divided over the issue in order to maintain that unity. And therefore, our government, and supported by the U.S., and certainly by Germany, is that, yes, let's let's get ahead, go ahead with this. We have to have that gas in order to and the broader picture, maintain the struggle uh, in support of Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't see it that way. Well, and then, and as you mentioned, let's you know we have to, I guess, go back in a few months anyway to the beginning of this uh, this invasion of Ukraine by the Russians. Uh, Germany was kind of late to the party, weren't they, Elliot? I mean, they they were supportive, sort of. Uh, but there was a concern there because they were concerned about repercussions because they are so reliant on Russian energy. And and as soon as they did make a stronger commitment, of course, uh, Russia didn't turn off the tap, but they certainly reduced production, didn't they? Yes. Uh, one of the achievements of Mr. Putin is the creation of what I'm calling the new Europe. The fact is that uh, Germany 
had placed their bets quite a long time ago, it looked like a good bet, that integrating Russia, post-Soviet uh, Russia, into Europe was a good thing. And to do that, you'd have this complex interdependence, as us political scientists like to say. And that way, uh, the, the Russians would not have any excuse or opportunity or incentive to go to war. They would become cooperative cooperative partners because there would be an economic interdependence in all kinds of ways, starting with, much to the advantage of Germany, cheaper gas supplies, reliable gas supplies. That gamble hasn't paid off, as we are now seeing. The fact that Germany, as you said, was reluctant, didn't know how to react initially, has really turned on a dime on this. They've, uh, they've become much str uh, stronger. They're saying, okay, we're getting off that dependence. Not only that, we are helping lead. Remember, they are the largest economy in the EU. Uh, mm -hmm. And in many ways, under Merkel anyway, a leader of the EU. Uh, they're, so they're saying, okay, we now agree with everybody else. Uh, Russia is a threat. We're going to deal with that threat. We have to get off our dependence on their uh, gas supplies. But it's going to take a little while, so we need it uh, in the short term for this. And that takes us back to the exemption. It was Germany asking uh, Canada, please do not, uh, don't, don't give the Russians the excuses. Uh, I'd like to talk about the word bluff here, Bill. Who's bluffing whom and who's getting away with it? Uh, Russia's bluffing. If they, um, if you don't give those turbines back, turbines back, if we don't have them, then the Russians will use that as an excuse to turn off the, uh, the supplies to us. Let's call their bluff. We'll get those turbines back to them. Then they, if they still deal with this in that way, everybody will see that they are bluffing, that they really had no intention to not use uh, what, basically energy supplies as a weapon against Europe. That was the, uh, the bluff at the time. We now have a situation where the Ukrainian government and the able representative here, their ambassador here in town in Ottawa, are saying, okay, you called their bluff. They don't want those turbines. It was always a bluff. They don't need them. They don't want them. Uh, we, Canada sent them over to Germany. Germany was going to send them on to Russia. Russia has not, as of today in any event, accepted them anyway. So if they don't need them and don't want them, it was always just a bluff. We have called their bluff. We have now called their bluff. So don't supply them with the turbines. Don't violate the sanctions regime. The sanctions regime is critical to uh, from the uh, sanctions regime by the West, by everyone else uh, against Russia, that's critical. We have to maintain that unity. But and, and the bluff was a big thing, and I know that even on this side of the ocean, of course, our uh, minister, well, the prime minister and certainly foreign affairs minister Jolie, uh, we, we're using that line. That was one of their talking points. Uh, and and as you said, there's there's some sense to that and some credibility uh, to call their bluff and show the Russians for what they are, which we have done, I guess. But to what end, Elliot? I mean, nothing's changed. Well, that's that's the bottom line today. And um, the fact that I'm citing them doesn't mean I agree with it. I'm, I'm trying to present the context oh, sure. of what's I understand. going on yeah. in front of us today. But uh, here's today's comment from the government of Canada, uh, from our, our energy uh, minister, Wilkinson. Our expectation and our hope is that the turbine will actually go back to Gazprom and it will eventually come into service. So the Canadian position has not changed on this, nor will the Ukrainian position saying, um, you're dancing around this, but what that really means is you're violating the sanctions regime. We need that sanctions regi regime. What will happen? 
uh, the to the next demand. If you're violating it for this, you'll violate it for that. And meanwhile, the whole thing is being now wrapped up into a broader package of this bilateral visit uh, by Chancellor Schultz to Canada talking about an energy deal. He wants Canada's LNG as well as this exciting new thing, hydrogen and uh, ammonia pro ammonium processing, and it's going to transform Newfoundland. So the conversation over the turbines, I think, is being, um, uh, I won't say covered up or papered over, but it's losing the central focus that Ukraine would like to maintain. Yeah, let's let's talk about the Ukraine perspective for a second, if we could. Uh, you know, we're heading up towards Independence Day, where Ukraine uh, will be celebrating. Although, of course, given the situation over there, it's going to be a rather subdued celebration, I would think. Uh, but there is, as we've talked about in the past, a very large Ukrainian Canadian population in this country uh, that we're very happy to see the Canadian government be the first to recognize Ukraine. Uh, one of the first, anyway, and and certainly to show their support initially when the invasion started. Uh, there's a a lot of disgruntled Ukrainian Canadians right now because of the Canadian action to do with the turbine issue here right now. They and and even President Zelensky, as as we've mentioned, uh, is basically said you keep saying well, you got our back. Well, this this is not what somebody does when if they they have our back. Uh, you know, you're you're rarely aiding and abetting the enemy that just invaded us a few months ago. Yes, and we're at the six month anniversary on Wednesday of the invasion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this uh, that quick blitz, blitz, blitzkrieg that uh, the Russians had in mind in an Anschluss, you know, they were going to decapitate the polit political leadership of Ukraine in, in, in a few days, and then they were going to merge it with Russia through a, a phony referendum. Clearly, that didn't happen, and we're into our current slog, and the nature of that war seems to be changing. Uh, one of the, I think there's two things about the war I'd mentioned very quickly on this. Uh, one is that now Ukraine is operating behind enemy lines. They are taking the fight behind enemy lines. We've seen that in Crimea several times now. The uh, mysterious explosions have been followed by more mysterious explosions. So it's quite clear now that Ukraine is operating not only in uh, Crimea unexpectedly and really doing serious damage there, but also elsewhere, perhaps across the border into Russia itself. Uh, some mysterious blowing up of um, ammunition dumps. Also, they're taking behind the enemy lines of targeting the Wagner group, or it's really the Wagner group. Uh, you know, now they're talking about, well, we'll set up a Mozart group. That's a side story. But the, they are operating behind uh, enemy lines now in a way that puts the Russians more on defense, and that allows Ukraine to play offense in a way they haven't been doing. And the second major thing, I think, to talk about in terms of the war is, of course, the nuclear issue. And yeah. Zaporizhia and the world's, you know, the, Europe's largest electrical plant powered by nuclear uh, generators, five or six of them there. And there's another plant elsewhere. The Russians have been occupying that, but forcing Ukrainian uh, technicians to maintain it. Now, apparently, they want to reorient. They want to basically steal the electrical power and reorient it perhaps to Ukraine, or into Crimea or into Russia. But they apparently are also using uh, that as a that plant as a fortified place from which to launch missiles uh, and attacks because knowing you can't fight back there. There's an extremely yeah. dangerous game going on over nuclear issues in Ukraine. The UN secretary general has been there. Uh, the head of the atomic energy, international atomic energy agency has been there saying, let's make this a demilitarized, a demilitarized zone around this nuclear powered electrical uh, plant. 
And uh, that's just been turned down by the Russians. Not surprisingly, uh, because they haven't played ball on any of the quote-unquote negotiations that have gone on previously to this. Uh, they seem uh, determined that they want to carry through uh, with the invasion uh, for their stated goal, of course, to, to rid Ukraine of, of Nazism uh, and, and to get some of the ne'er-do-wells that they've been talking about. Uh, a quick uh, sidebar issue here, if I could, Elliot. The, the, uh, the death of a very prominent a daughter of a very prominent Russian who was the nickname being Putin's brain. Uh, and, and within that the incident, of course, the Russians immediately blame Ukraine for that in some way, shape or form. Uh, first of all, uh, it seems ludicrous. That doesn't say there's no credibility at all to the accusation at all. Uh, but, but is there even, is Ukraine even capable of, of, of that kind of espionage and that kind of uh, behind the scenes activity? We know that Ukraine has been operating effectively, as I just was talking about, but yeah. a car bombing outside Moscow does not have, it doesn't, doesn't seem to me to have the, the fingerprints of Ukraine but on this particular assassination. Uh, there's some new group has just been announced uh, on a Telegram channel. There was one Russian member of parliament who opposed Russia invading Ukraine. He then defected. He's now living in, not defected, he moved out for his own safety. He's now operating out of Kiev, and he has a radio program. He said, my telegram channel has been contacted by the National Republican Army, their NRA. They are claiming victory on this. Uh, they are claiming that they took undertook this, that partisans are now going to be carrying out additional activities inside Russia in opposition to Putin, uh, an effort to bring Putin down. So perhaps we're seeing a, a new development uh, inside Russia. Certainly, uh, the particular assassination was audacious, uh, murderous, of course, but it, the fact that the ideological justification or the coloration for, that Mr. Putin projects of you know, great, greater Russia was echoed by this, uh, this ideologue whose daughter, and she shared it, apparently this uh, was a, meant to attack the father, not the daughter. They were switched, they switched cars at the last minute. So, uh, something additionally mysterious is going on and murderous. And all of this is, in a way, side effects and ripple effects. We talk about turbines to start this. We're caught up in this in a tiny way, this far away. But there are ripple effects of this invasion, and we just are seeing one more of them. And, I mean, the accusation that Ukraine was somehow involved in this, I mean, I guess it serves two quick purposes. One, of course, to try to, you know, demonize the, the enemy as far as the Russian people are concerned. But I guess also, Elliot, uh, this is another attempt by Putin and his regime to, to basically say everything's fine over here. We're, we're, everybody's behind the war. Everybody's behind Putin, uh, which is not the truth at all. There's a lot of, uh, of, of, of insurrectionists uh, in there that were never happy with Putin. Uh, a lot of them are jailed. Some of them are poisoned, but that hasn't deterred them. I and mean, there's, there's some internal conflict in that country. Yes. One of the successes of Mr. Putin was to put down the internal opposition initially. The, there were uh, a lot of demonstrations against this war in the opening phases of the war a long time ago now, six months ago. But uh, the domestic security forces have forcibly put down those. Uh, and the state media propaganda apparatus has successfully blanketed the country, convincing Russians who have no other source of information that this indeed is a justified war against Nazis, as you put it uh, accurately a moment ago. By the way, as a side note, uh, he, that vocabulary is now being directed toward 
uh, some of the Bal one of the Baltic states. That's very ominous. Oh, there's Nazis there too. So I'm I'm watching that one. But the um, yeah, the reality is that uh, he's gotten away with it until now, more or less. But we are seeing at least some possible domestic or internal dissent uh, as represented in this assassination. Uh, worth watching. I mean, this is changing almost by the day to see yes, what's going to be happening here and the reaction to it. Uh, that's why it's so important that uh, we get your perspective on this, Elliot. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's always good to talk to you, Bill. Take care. That's uh, Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.